Welcome to episode 14 of A Funny Story About Money. Uh, today's episode, I imagine, is going to be a lot of fun because I get to sit here with a good friend of mine who I also believe is, is one of the best comedians in the world. To me, he's actually, and this isn't a joke, in my top five favorite comedians. Lucky, luckily enough for me, He's actually a good friend of mine, so I get to be a fan of his while we're hanging out and while he's on stage. I don't think he's as funny on stage as I used to, <laughs> just kind of the way that it goes with comedy, because I've seen him maybe a hundred times, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm very pleased to welcome Sean LaComber to the show. Great to be here, Kent. Oh, thanks. And I'm a fan of yours, too, you know? <clears throat> You're right. a funny dude. Yeah, yeah. There, I have a couple fans, but uh, yeah. So what? What I thought, like as comedians, and and I mean, you do have a podcast that you go on every week. Uh, that uh, so we're used to this, and comedians sort of know the story of comedy and how sort of terrible of a game it it actually is. Um. So I just kind of want to talk to anybody that's ever been interested in the idea of, you know, how tough it is to be a, a Canadian comedian and uh, sort of what the grind is like, you know, how you can maybe try and make more money, what the good things are, what the bad things are. So, and I'm also going to ask you some questions that I don't know the answer to that I'm actually kind of curious about. So. So hopefully I don't have to do too much talking. <laughs> uh, first thing first, just a little bit about yourself. I'm Sean Lacomber. I'm from Fort Saskatchewan, Alberta. You ever heard of it? Yeah, I've it's been there. It's a fun there. little bedroom yeah, community. Sweet. Same air quality as Shanghai, as they say. <laughs> uh, Cancer Alley. I uh, got two little kids out there, a wife and two kids, and I'm redoing my basement for no reason. I just start ripping things. I just started ripping it apart, uh, but I can't. You know, it's uh, when you start ripping something apart, and then you start to realize, like, I can't redo any of this. Right. You like, you start to have... become impressed with the like. I, I, I've become very impressed with my ability to demolish things and then clean it up and be like, "Look at this." Well, um, that's good. I mean, you can YouTube how to do most of the stuff. Like, it's not yeah. rocket science. I find it's really important to watch at least three YouTube videos before you do anything, right? Because uh, sometimes I'll start doing exactly what the first YouTube video says. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be like, that didn't work. And then I'll watch three or four other ones and they'll be like, don't do what, get, you know, they're right. like, don't yeah. make this mistake. And I'm yeah. like, but that's the first guy told me to do that. The first YouTuber. Yeah, but maybe Gary doesn't know anything. No, he doesn't know anything. So yeah, I'm in Fort Saskatchewan. I've been doing comedy for, I think, 18 years now. Sounds like a long time. It's gone by pretty fast. Some yeah, the I've it's been weird 10, the, 10 this year. It's weird because the time that I've been doing comedy has gone by really fast, but the shows that I've done go by very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one Every of them. Single Every one single one of them. time. Usually when we're on our way to shows... Sean and I are kind of the same like a lot of comedians are like really pumped up to do the shows and we're just like 
I can't wait till this show is over. I usually have like my post show things set up. Like I'll have a couple of marijuana gummies and like a beer and um, everything like set up in my hotel room. And I'll be like, I'll look at them as I'm leaving and be like, I'll see you guys. Right. <laughs> I'll see you guys soon. Doesn't matter how this goes. I'll be back. You know, I talk to them like they're my kids. Like, guys, I'll be back and I can't wait until it's just us, you know. Well, and I, that part is funny. So you're also not the biggest fan. You would call yourself socially awkward in public scenarios, I would yeah. I would say. Yeah, like a lot of social anxiety disorder stuff where it's like, yeah, just, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it's like, it's like the average person feels, but to the extreme where, um, you know, you're only comfortable around people that you know well. And then if you're surrounded by strangers, you're kind of, your body is telling you to get out of your Right. So, yeah, so every show I go and do, you know, a lot of them are in smaller communities. Everybody knows each other and I'm standing in the back and people are kind of looking at you like, who's that guy? I don't know him. Oh, he must be the comedian or whatever. And you're just kind of standing there and it's just, yeah, it's a pretty weird feeling. It is uncomfortable for sure. We, uh, I, I love the story about you and Cooper and Unger in the golf tournament where like there'd be people at every hole and you guys, none of you guys wanted to talk to strangers. So you <laughs> yeah. just sat back and they're like, Here's these comedians. Oh, the comedian up. cart. Yeah, so they're like, "Oh, the the comedian cart is coming. This is going to be a blast." And then we just cruise by them and go to the tea box and <laughs> do some practice wings. And they're like, "Hey, you're supposed to drink a Jello shot and try to throw this football through the hole." And we're like, "No, that's okay." Like, right. what? <laughs> like, like every other group is like, you know, accountants and salespeople, and they're like throwing balls through the hoops and drinking and having a blast. And these comedians come through and they blow right through and just like, no, we're just kind of focused on our game here. We're just going to stand on the tee box and wait 25 minutes uh, for this group to clear in front of us. Right. <laughs> Not say a word. Like, No. But yeah, that's one, that's, you know, one of the interesting things about comedy, too, is like uh, there's, you know, pe- people don't really necessarily know that there's tens of thousands of people doing it. So when you talk, like, oh, I'm a comedian. How come I've never heard of you? Like, that's the first thing people will say. Like, how come? It's, so it's like they think you're either famous or garbage. Right. You yeah, know, yeah. Like you're either either I know who you are and you're good at comedy or I've never heard of you and that means you're trash. Right. Well, I was Eddie Murphy. I know Eddie Murphy. Yeah. And George everybody Carlin. else is garbage. Right. And if you're not that guy. And what are you doing at my Christmas party? Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah, there are a lot. And a lot more. And I, I think we'll get into that. Because uh, you started when there wasn't really a community at all in Edmonton. Like, it was pretty yeah. small. There was There was only... Yeah, I mean, I started at a time when there was like, you know, there was quite a few people trying, but I know like five years before I started, um, their amateur program at Yuck Yucks was like five guys. and Going up the, every night. Yeah, and the club would call them and be like, you coming down to amateur night tonight? Like, right. they, you know, they were desperate for comedians to come down. And uh, by the time I started, it had changed. There was like, you know, there was always people cramming to get on. Like, can I please get on the stage tonight? And you'd have to go to workshops and listen to their headliners talk about. I did that. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, yuck, yucks. Yeah, those were dumb. And then I was like, I don't want to wait four months to get on a list. Like, tell me I'm going up next week and I'll figure it out. I'm too nervous about this. So uh, I'm just curious. Uh, this is one question I don't know the answer to. So what were, what were you like when you were a kid? Like, um, I When I was, I don't know. I mean... To be honest, like my, I guess I was like sort of a class clown, kind of like I was always joking around um, with people in class and stuff like that. So I guess sort of like people would be like, oh, yeah, he was, uh, you know, some people would have been like, oh, fuck, was he ever annoying? Like, yeah, he was always trying. He was always an idiot. So, yeah, some people would have it would have been the same breakdown as it is now as an adult where some people are like, that guy's a fucking idiot. And other people are like, that guy's, you know, he was funny. That guy was pretty funny. Right. So, yeah, I think when I was a kid, yeah, I mean, but, you know, I came from like a ragey house, too. Like there was a lot of rage and yelling and screaming in my house. So it was like a high strung, stressful childhood, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be how I turned out so strange. Uh, but yeah, like in class and stuff, I think I was always like in French immersion, we were always like joking around and doing, I didn't take school very seriously at all. Like I didn't think it meant anything. I was just like, what do we have to do to get out of here? Like, this is stupid. Mm -hmm. And now my kids are like that where they're like, they see no value in school. They're like, I hate school. Why do we have to go today? Like every day is like a grind to get them to school. Like I hate school. What are we doing here? Right. And I'm like, well, you, you got to go to school. you got to go to school, otherwise you're going to be a comedian grinding it out on the road. Yeah, you're going to be in blizzards. Carrot River, Saskatchewan <laughs> for an ag, ag night. Yeah, you're going on uh, in about an hour. we got a guy here from a trial farm uh, down in Regina that's using some new Roundup products, and he's going to let these local farmers know what's up with the new Roundup products in 2019, and then you go on and do your little skit. <laughs> so yeah if you're not careful that becomes your career just going from carrot river to carrot river to carrot river over and over again right which sounds fun it sounds like well i mean you know because i never moved right so that's same thing yeah, as well, you. you're making it work out of fort saskatchewan <laughs> yeah, exactly. which is pretty impressive and i would also suggest that you know very few comedians have the ability in Canada to actually make a living just strictly as a comedian um, and without really trying your talent sort of just carries you in my opinion you know you're so good that you just get hired and can make a living based yeah. on the talent I know you're not going to like me complimenting you no and I so mean I, well but I haven't done anything that you couldn't have you know what I mean like if I, I could I could probably get the shows that you could get but I wouldn't get them as easy I would have to grind it out there are guys that would work harder on the business aspect of of comedy that could see more success it, do you not agree yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just because I, you know, same, it's the same thing for both of us. We never moved. So when you don't move and go to Toronto or LA or whatever and try to try your hand in sort of, you know, becoming successful, then you have to kind of, if you're like, okay, I'm going to stay around Edmonton and see what's what, most of the work you're going to get is going to be like fundraiser, corporate, you know, that's the kind of stuff you're going to do, Christmas parties. 
you're going to do all sorts of, you know, like I've done shows in people's living rooms mm-hmm. or whatever. Like just some wealthy lady will be like, why don't you come to uh, me and the girls get together every Tuesday. We were wondering if we could hire you to come in. And I'd be like, uh, no, because <laughs> like, and I'll be like, no, it, I mean, the cost would be this. And they'll be like, sure. Right. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, now I'm going to this lady's house. How many, you told me about this before, like six ladies or something? Six ladies, and they were eating, like, healthy salads, like salads with, you know, spinach and strawberries in it and stuff, and drinking rosé. And then they'd be like, okay, go. And I'm, like, standing by the fridge. <laughs> and I'm, I just start talking, like, telling jokes by the fridge, and then they'd chime in on the jokes, like, oh, yeah, and then you blah, blah. and you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this, like, right. I can't believe oh, this well is it what, go. it was, you know, like, they chuckled, and then, like, okay, bye, like, and as soon right. as, and I was like, all right, well, that's it, and they were like, okay, bye, like, as soon as I was done, they were like, see you later. Yeah, we don't want to talk to you. No, we don't want you to stay, like, we want to sit around and talk about how shitty you were at that thing, but, right. uh. Yeah, so you end up doing, like, a bunch of shows that, you know... Like, if you told me in the beginning, like, um, most of the shows you're going to do by the time you're 41 are going to be, you know, Christmas parties, fundraisers, corporate events, I would have been like, okay, I'm just not going to get involved. Right, because they're the worst. Yeah, so you're like, I'm just... If if that's what my career ends up being, then I just won't do it. Um, but then, uh, yeah, after a while, you're like, you know, you're like, well, I guess it's, you know, it's better than the other thing I would have been doing, right? Mm-hmm. I would have been probably working at a chemical plant or an oil and gas refinery as some low-end operator that, you know, like, get Sean to run the back end because he doesn't fucking even know which way the valves go. <laughs> <laughs> like, he doesn't even know. Because I remember, like, when I did work in industry, like, you know, people be like, oh, Sean seems smart because, like, I would talk like I was a smart person, but then something would go wrong in the plant. And they'd be like, you know, who's troubleshooting that? And they'd be like, Sean is. Like, okay, Sean will take care of it. And then an hour later, somebody would be like, what is happening out here? And I'd be like, uh, which, um, which way does the liquid move? You're not mechanically inclined. Yeah, so I wouldn't... you can demolish a basement. I can demolish a basement better than anybody can demolish a basement. I can remove framing and leave this... Yeah, like, even even doing that, I was like, is this load-bearing? Probably not. Like, (laughs) (laughs) let's just tear this puppy apart. That's what I was like. I don't know... uh... I should probably come over and look at this before you... <laughs> yeah, Kent was like, maybe I should take a peek and make sure you're not putting your life, your uh, family's lives at risk in your 1950s home, just yeah. chainsawing studs to the ground. Demolishing stuff's not nearly as fun as you think it is on TV, though. It's hard work yeah. to rip stuff apart. Like, yeah, because a lot of it too is like, you know, you're like, I think I can do all of this with a pry bar. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden you're like, God damn it, I need a screwdriver. Like I've got to, you know, I've got to do right. all, I've got to undo screws. I just wanted to pound stuff. Yeah, it doesn't work. Like you get tired. It's yeah. like, yeah, it looks fun on Well, TV. and the amount of garbage too, right? They don't show you that on television where sure. it's like, look at that just, giant pile in the backyard. And you can't carry it in like good things. Like you can only take a few pieces at a time because it's all different sizes and awkward. Yeah. 
and then one and then it looks good for like a day you're like look at that right look at this remember what it was yeah this is great and then after a day you're like uh, now it's just a stripped down basement right like if anybody came in now they'd be like this looks worse than it did before yeah there is torn it apart it looks worse so when you're when did you decide I'm going to I'm going to be a comedian. Did you want to be a comedian when you're a kid, when you're class Yeah, I think yeah, I think when I was a kid I was like, "Oh, I wouldn't mind, you know, like I used to watch like just for laughs things with Mike McDonald or like John Candy movies and be like, "Well, I could do that or I could I I wouldn't mind trying to do trying to do that." So, yeah, I think even when I was a kid I was like, "I I wouldn't mind doing that." But then when I got out of high school, I was like, "Oh, I can't do that." Like no, that's too stressful. Stand, yeah, no, no, no. I can't stand up there and, fuck. you know, like re- what really happened is like I started when I was twenty five, but it was mostly because I was like, people be like, oh yeah, you, uh, you know, you should try comedy or whatever, and then I'd be like, yeah, and then I would start to kind of make it sound like, oh yeah, you know, like I could do that. Um, uh, but then it became like, you know, I've talked about it so much, like I've talked, you know, it's like, well, I better try it now. Mm-hmm. I better actually do it. But yeah, the first time I did it, I was like absolutely petrified. Like I can't, I, I still remember like how scared I was. Like Where was not. it? Like, Devaney's or whatever that place was? Um, It was Fargo's. Oh, far, yeah. That's Fargo's. So it was like Hudson's. Yeah. So it, Hudson's now on White Ave it used to be a place called Fargo's. And it was pretty easy to get on because it was run by Rob Pugh out of Edmonton. And a lot of times people weren't going, like comedians didn't go. Um, It became like a hot room later. But when I first started going, it would just be me and one other guy. So, you know, be like, of course you can get on because I just need warm bodies to get to go up there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I remember the first time doing it being like, I am like I should and even you know like I did that room for five years and every time I before I went on I would go to the bathroom downstairs and just like sit on the toilet and be like what am I doing here I've got to go home like I've got to go home and I still have that so I yeah I still have that uh sort of before I go on anywhere I'll go to the bathroom and and be like what are you doing here right you don't belong here you're not supposed to Any be up there. Show? Pre- well, and you know, if you're doing like the comic strip or something like where you've done it a million times and you're just going to MC or middle, you're like, yeah, this is, I don't have to be fret over this. Like who cares? Right. Um, but yeah, if I'm like on the road about to go in and there's 200 people drinking in a banquet room or something or in a town hall or, you know, a community center, because there's times where like it's out of control. Like I did one two weeks ago in Lloyd. And there was like 700 people there drinking and it's just too many people. Like it's mm-hmm. just, so well, I'm drunk people. Yeah. Like, yeah. They're drunk. It's a Christmas party. There's bars. Like they'll have little bars stations set up everywhere. So the idea is like, okay, you're going to do stand up comedy in the midst of all this other activity. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, you know, there's going to be a photo booth over here and there's going to be people wearing party hats over there and there's going to be a bar here and a bar there. And there's 35 different companies, so they're all sitting at their own tables getting drunk. And some of them are already trashed. They came in a bus. And you're supposed to go up there and be like, so the other day I was thinking about breakfast cereal. What is up with 
smarty <laughs> and they're like shut up like so I mean there's times when you're like I can't believe this is what's happening right now but you're just talking to nothing like yeah there's 200 people talking and the only fear that you have is like okay there's 200 people talking and there's 500 people trying to listen but I so I know I'm gonna fail there's no way that I'm gonna be able to make 500 people laugh when 200 people are talking over them um, but I need to make sure that all 700 aren't talking so that I just have to be entertaining enough that I make sure that the number of people talking over me is stays at 200. Right. Because if it gets to three, four or five, then, you, then you have no chance. I have no control. And then the contact can be like, well, do I even pay for that? Like, right. Is that something that I should be paying for? Cause nobody was listening and that, and it's always your fault too, right? They won't be. The, nobody's ever going to say like, "Yeah, I guess that room was kind of nuts and out of control, and it wasn't really a, a winnable game for any comedian." They're going to be like, "That was brutal." Right. That sucked. Well, yeah. that's what I always. People always ask me like, "You still bomb? Have you ever bombed?" And I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I bomb all the time because it's really hard to bomb in a." hot room right like but some of the scenarios that you actually have to put yourself in to be a comedian to make money is like that right like when i did that i told you about that oilers nation golf tournament where i was like giving away a prize and i had somebody was tournament. yeah everybody was talking when i got up there they didn't really introduce me so i'm trying to get you know, 80% of the crowd to listen because none of them were at the start. Yeah. And as they started, and I was like kind of getting a couple laughs from a couple pockets, the guy yells out and he's like, you sound like a douche bag. (laughs) Pardon me. And, uh, so I was like, said it again. And then, and then I was like, do I know you? Cause I was like, maybe he's just like joking and drunk and he knows me. And he's like, nope. He's like, you sound like a douchebag. And I was like, what is happening? And nobody else can hear him because you know how that. Yeah. Like the pot, you, they never hear the worst hecklers because it's always loud. Like yeah. the ones that drive me crazy. Like, and yeah, he tried to fight me while I was on stage. And I was like, I'm not even getting paid to do this. Like, I'm out of here because I was so mad. Like, yeah. Well, then you'd have to stay. I would absolutely, yeah. It'd be like, okay, well, you know, this is the money that I need to make this week to feed my family. So that person, you know, you're always in the in those environments. There's always going to be four or five guys that are sitting there thinking like, I'm funnier than this guy. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, they're going to like challenge you, and it's going to be, you know, it's either going to be like, I wish four or five is like a strong, it's, there's always one or two yeah, that are going to be sitting there and they grew up thinking that they were funny and now they work for their dad's trucking company and there's always a part of them that's like, I should have been a comedian or I should be an actor, I should be in movies, I'm really funny. And then all of a sudden they hear like, oh, at this event, there's going to be a comedian and they're going to be, th- their thought is like, I'm, I bet I'm going to, who, who is it? Like, oh, it's Sean LaCrombone. Right. Um, I never heard of that guy fucking guy. Brutal. Guy sounds like an idiot. <laughs> and then they're going to sit there 
and they're gonna you know if if you don't get off to a good start they're gonna challenge you mm -hmm. like so if you start off and you get a couple of laughs then you can make those sort of alpha male funny guys shut up right but if you get off to a bit of a rocky start with the audience then those guys are gonna start popping up they're gonna start being like brutal or they're gonna like you know make a bomb sound effect or a whistling sound effect or they're gonna just try to tag your jokes with their own little witticisms and yeah you just have to deal with that you just have, you can't lose your shit and be like dude shut the fuck up like Rip. shut your mouth i've done you know? it before it doesn't end well <laughs> no because yeah then, that's what you did at that oilers nation one right and at the comic strip once when that guy same scenario Rick asked me to go up during Christmas season. Oh, yeah. Wasn't getting paid. He's like, uh, this whole, everybody's dirty. It's Christmas season. Can you go up and do like 15 minutes cleaner? And I said, sure. Great. And I started. And it was the alpha male, drunkest guy in the room with his two buddies. And as I started talking right before I got to my first punchline, he's like, listen to this guy. Sounds like a fucking retard. <laughs> and uh, I know we're not supposed to laugh at that, but I, I just like your impressions of well, hecklers. Yeah, this was, but this is what he's saying, and and he's in the front, so nobody can hear him except for me. Yeah, and the corner tables kind of beside him. And you know when somebody heckles right before your punchline throws your timing yeah, off, the and jokes he's so mad, yeah. and then. You, so the crowd's not on my side because he's he kills the punchline three times. And that was early when I used to always tell the answering machine joke, right? Kind of off the bat, off the top, to give people uh, the idea that I knew I that, that I, I, that I like talked this. like this. Yeah. And even while I'm telling that joke, he's like, this last guy... Sounds like a fucking retard. And he does it. And the third time he did it, I got so mad. I was just like, shut the fuck up. And then I was like, <laughs> and now everybody in the room is like, why is this comedian snapping? snapping. Yeah, like, what's his Christmas problem? Time. Like, what's we're up? having it's a great holidays. time. Christmas party. And I walked off stage and Rick was like, what happened? And I'm like, oh, I, like I wanted to fight that guy in the parking lot after after the show like i yeah so yeah, like, mad i always tell people like because sometimes you know you'll complain about comedy and then somebody will be like oh is that right little monkey oh is that that's oh, too bad you, you you know you drove two hours and talked for 50 minutes and somebody gave you 1500 dollars. like wish i could do that and always tell them like if you went and did it one time where everyone was looking at you like what are you doing up there? You have no business being up there. And you had that feeling that you get in your pit of your stomach when you're trying to make people laugh and no one's laughing. Like if you did it, if the average person did that one time and had to stand up there for 45 minutes and tell stories from their life and no one was laughing and people started talking and people were saying things like you suck or whatever, you'd leave that venue get in your car and go home and say i will never do that again i'll never uh, yeah. do, i'll never do that again in my life it's hard to get back after those ones like yeah it, it you're uh, yeah well and that's what's funny about when i first started comedy you'd, you'd bomb 
and then you'd have three weeks to sit on it. Right. You know, like you weren't able to get on all the time. Well, there wasn't a lot of rooms when yeah. you started, right? So there'd be times where I'd bomb on a Tuesday night at, at uh, Yuck Yucks, and then I'd have to just sit on that set for like three weeks right. waiting to get on somewhere else unless I wanted to go on at some karaoke night or some shit. And then you're going to bomb anyways. Yeah. So it was like... Well, how know, did your first set go? Uh, the first set went well, like, and then the second set went bad. So the first set was like five minutes of stuff that I'd been writing for like, you know, six months or something. And looking back, it was all probably pretty cheesy and stupid. Um, and then the second week I went up, I was like, I'm just going to write a new five. You know, mm-hmm. I'll just, I've got three days here. I'll just write a new five minutes and go up. And then I did the five minutes that I'd just written in the last few days and tanked on the second one. It was like, people were like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? This guy sucks. <laughs> right. And then you start to wear it. You're like, oh my God. Like, you know, you kind of develop uh, thicker skin after a while where, you know, you know, there's, there's a sort of place that you go when you're doing comedy. And, you know, I mean, we're talking about, we're making it sound like we bomb all the time, which we don't like, um, but you know, there are place, there's sort of a place you go in your mind where you're like, um, I'm telling jokes and it's kind of chatty in here. And usually it's just people not listening, right? That's yeah. generally when you're bombing, it's because, you know, a, a group in the audience has decided to tune you out and then they have all the power, right? Like that even, carries even, to people around everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't have the rooms undivided attention, then you're really not going to do that well. And yeah, like you said, there's times when you get angry because you're like, look, if I could just do this, like if you would just listen to what the hell I'm saying instead of talking. But a lot of people don't know, right? It's not like they're even necessary. Some of them are like the the times when you get mad is when you know that they're doing it on purpose, Mm -hmm. when they're purposely trying to disrupt you because they want you to fail. Yeah. That's when you get angry. But there are lots of times when people don't have a clue that they're not supposed to talk well the average human being thinks that comedians enjoy hecklers because it adds to the show yeah that's why they usually come up to you they're usually the first person to come up to you afterwards and say like yeah i thought i would chime in there and get a little something going and uh you know it's amazing the number of times when people are like yeah i noticed you were like they make it seem like they're in show business like they're like yeah i seen that you know it was kind of uh hit and miss there so I figured I'd chime in and get some get some stuff going. Like they think that they're yeah, they always think that they gave you an assist or something. And yeah. it's like, no, that's not what I wanted to happen. I didn't want <laughs> you to talk, and it didn't help. Right. The only reason it helped is because I made fun of you, and they laughed at me making fun of you. Like that was the only reason it helped. But yeah, but I would have preferred not to go there. But yeah. I prefer to not have any interaction with the audience whatsoever. I don't look at anybody in the crowd. I've never yeah. made eye contact with anybody unless it's I can see their yeah. faces with the lights. And then I always pay attention to the people that hate me the most. Right. And I try and look for people smiling, but it's hard. Like, so you're like, yeah, no, I, I usually look right over their heads. Yeah. Right. Me too. But I do too. Like, but yeah, I'm looking, yeah, like I had one on Saturday where this lady, um, just hated me. Like the rest of the crowd was okay, but this one lady in the front row was just like, she just kept shaking her head. 
Mm -hmm. Every time I finished a joke, she would just like, oh my God. And she would just shake her head. And I'm like, and I couldn't stop looking at her. I'm like, God, like that lady, I don't know what she thought this was going to be. Like, what did she think was going to happen? Like, but sometimes like, especially when you do like Christmas parties and corporates and stuff, like a lot of times they don't even know that you have to do your own jokes. Like they think you can just do anything. Um, so they wonder why you're telling these jokes. Like they think like, well, you had the whole internet. Like you could have, the whole internet was right there. Full of jokes. Full of hilarious jokes. Why don't you write me a brand new 45 minute set about accounting this week before the show? I mean, go on the internet. Like, yeah. And then then people always think like, we have a great sense. As soon as you hear, as soon as the people say like, oh yeah, we got a great sense of humor down here at the whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know that they're a bunch of fucking idiots. Like, <laughs> like that's the first thing they do to tell you that you shouldn't, you know, be aware of these people. Be don't, wary of this group. Don't take this gig. Yeah, because that's the first thing they'll say is like, oh, down here at the such and such office, we got a great sense of humor. Right. We're always laughing and having fun. And it's just, you know, and you're like, oh, right on. This is cool. A group with a great sense of humor. And then as soon as you start your show, you're like, these guys don't have a great sense of humor. Oh, that's right. They just laugh awkwardly at their boss's jokes. So the boss is the one that told me they have a great sense of humor. And he tells racist jokes. And he tells jokes. Yeah, he tells racist jokes at the office and everyone wants to keep their job. So they laugh. Laugh uncomfortably. Yeah. yeah, so they laugh uncomfortably at their boss's racist jokes so that they can maintain their employment at the company. And then the boss tells you everybody has a great sense of humor. And then you get there and realize, like, oh, these guys don't have to fake laugh at my jokes. Like, right. And then he tells you a racist joke after the show and tells you you can use it. Have yeah. you ever used one of those? Here, use, you can throw this in your little sketch. <laughs> So Here, I got one for you. When I when I met you, so I started ten years ago. You started eighteen years ago. You were already uh, pretty established as far as you know the Edmonton community. You were headlining by that point in time. You yeah, won so. just for laughs before that. Yeah, the homegrown comedy now before that, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So like, how did those? How did the first years progress? How long till you're getting paid? How long till those? You know, yeah, sort of... I mean that was that's one thing I remember from when I started is I'd be like, you know, I'd have to do sets and then leave and then go to work the next day at six, and I would always look at the comedians that were like professional comedians. So I always try to remind myself of like when I was new, I prof- I would hear professional comedians complaining. Um, you know, after the show, uh, and I'd be like, well, what are you guys complaining about? You don't work tomorrow. Like, I mean, right. you have the, I mean, the, you have the cat, this is the cat's ass. Yeah. Like you just go up there and do that. Like that's so well, fucking this is your easy. job. Yeah. Today. Like it's so easy. Like I have to come here and do a five minute spot and come back tomorrow and do another five minute spot. And then I got to go to work. Like I got to right. wake up at six and go to work all day. You guys are just lazy. So you know, I do try to remind myself of like, oh yeah, I guess I've just become lazy where like, I don't have to do anything Monday if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And I don't really appreciate the fact that like, I don't have to do anything Monday if I don't want to. But I think it took like, um, for, I don't know, I guess it, you know, it didn't take long. Like it took like 
two or three years before people were like, okay, this person can open. Because you always needed openers at that time. Like there was road work and, you know, so there was always a, an opening for that where it's like, okay, this person has 10 or 15 usable minutes. We'll throw them on the road and they can do 30. Yeah. And you'd be like, what? Like right. 30 on I had the road? seven usable minutes the first time I went on the road to open with 30. And it's hilarious because they're putting you in an environment where you, you know, like in, in Edmonton, that seven minutes is seven minutes. On the road, that seven is like four and a half. Yeah. Because there's not as many laughs that go with the punchlines because everybody's like, they're in Grand Prairie and they're eating chicken wings. Yeah. You know, and you're like, well, there's, there, uh, you're like, well, maybe I'll stretch this seven into 10. And then you're like, nope, that seven's that, actually, <laughs> that, that seven's compressed. That right. seven is compressed to five. <laughs> and now you've got to fill 25 with like, what do you, um, what do you do for a living? How's your, right. Where, where yeah, do you work? It was, it was a good test in becoming. Where was your good, first gig? Good. At the, my first gig was at the Druid. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Druid, that, yeah, that makes sense. Where was the, like, where was your first road gig, though? <clears throat> oh, I went, where was the first show of that tour we did? Oh, uh, Fort St. John. Oh, my God. Was that the first night? No, Slave Lake was the first night. Oh, was that a Bob? That's a Bob one. It was Bob. Uncle Bob Angeli. So owner, Bob saw me do it, and I was, like, three months in. And I'm like, I'm getting paid $500 to drive this headliner around. Terrible experience. But really, like, I had legitimate seven minutes. Some of it was okay. That, like, and, and they're like, you're going to go up and you're going to do this. And like, oh, this is absolutely insane. <laughs> the show in Fort St. John was... Was it at a bar? In the club. Did you do the one in like the, not the bar, but the club, like it was like a dance club. Yeah. I did one that was a bar and then there was a bar in the back. Yeah. It was like a front bar. Yeah. And a I'm smoking like, section. I'm like, the show should be in this front bar. But it's not. It's but in the it's back in the bar. club. Yeah. And then you're standing on the stage or something, right? Like you're standing they on did, the bar. They didn't put it on the stage. What they did is they put a stool in the middle of the dance floor. So there's a stage at the back. I'm like, put a couple tables by the stage. Get these people close to us. Instead, he's like, no, I know better than to set up a show. Yeah. Let's put you in the middle of this dance floor. And we're going to have 12 audience members standing around like the outside border of the dance floor. In this gigantic two-story like dance club. Oh, my God. Go up in the middle of this thing and tell jokes. And right before I started, this girl was like, this, I was still single. This girl was like, can't, or she's like, are you the comedian? And I'm like, yeah, I'm one of them. And she's like, she's like, I am so excited to see this show. And I'm like, good. Like, oh. I'm not excited for this show at all. <laughs> but so I start talking and, uh, she is like beside her friend and she's like talking and I'm like, I thought you were excited to like see the show. Now you're just talking to your friend. And she was like, why don't you shut the fuck up? And I was like, 
I was like, well, I'm pretty sure my job here entails me to talk for the next like 25 minutes. I'm already really uncomfortable. And then like a minute later, she runs like towards me while I'm standing in the middle of the dance floor. This tiny little girl like runs towards me. And I'm like, holy crap, like what's, and she jumps up like and wraps herself around me and starts making out with me in the middle of the dance floor. And then I was like, um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she sounds like she's a pretty balanced lady. And then she got kicked out of the show. So yeah, it was uh, bad. Then we went to Fort Nelson and I was with a black headliner and, uh, Somebody there obviously said some racist things while he was on stage. That was good. Yeah. (laughs) That was good. And we drove through a blizzard for 12 hours the next day. And then, and that's when he convinced me to drive home from Slave Lake late at, we left Slave Lake at midnight, even though we had a hotel and he's like, I want to get home. And I was always heard. Home? Didn't he, was he he from the States? He was from California. Yeah. But he, where, how would he go home anyway? He was going to some other guy's house, couch. He just oh, okay. didn't want to. He wanted to get it over with. And he's like, I can drive. And then five minutes out of Slave Lake, he was dead asleep. Even though he slept through the craziest blizzard I've ever driven through on the way to Slave Lake. Ugh. And I was like, I'll never do that again. Yeah, those I'm, never, old, I'm never listening to a headliner. Those old road dogs, like they, uh, they knew how, like I would pick guys up from the Edmonton airport to drive to Fairview and they would get in the car and, uh, go right to sleep. Yeah. And then they'd stay asleep. Like I'm, you know, I would, I'd never been to Fairview and I remember driving this headliner that I just picked up from the airport and he slept the whole way to Fairview. Like yeah. the whole way. And then we got to the hotel and he's like, I'm not staying here. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, so after the show, we're just going to go home. And I'm like, well, I like, I just drove here. And he's like, well, it didn't take that long. And I'm like, it took six and a half hours. <laughs> like you were asleep for six and a half. Yeah. And then he would, so like, it's just weird to be that disconnected from reality. Like the, yeah, some of these headliners, like you'd work with them and they'd get on their phone and they'd just be on their phone with their girlfriend or their wife or their friend for like three hours. And you're like, like is this you normal? Like, yeah, like you are like you were nothing. Like you were absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah, there was a different sort of... I probably came in really at the very end of that. Like everybody I talked to kind of before had so many stories like that where... I have I had very few scenarios where like you know I was you're just getting like you are the piece of garbage that is driving me here and that's yeah. it and yeah. I always don't get it because everybody had to start yeah. doing three five minutes bombing well, not getting paid and I mean the way I look at it is we're both going there right like I mean we both have to go up. Like, it's not, you know, but yeah, there used to be an attitude of like, well, you're nothing, you're garbage, I'm I'm the main guy. Like, it's just like when your career turns out that you're just like a road, a road guy, like a road dog, you know, people want to pretend that they're like not just a road dog. They want to be like, you're garbage, you're just the opener, I'm the main event. And it's like, well, you're not the main event. Like, I mean anybody could be doing this gig we're gonna go there and it's gonna be a a sandwich board that says comedy tonight 
Right. It's not going to be your name. No one knows who the hell you are. Like, calm down. Relax. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you sort of become, you know, delusional as you get older because you've got to pretend that your career was a success instead of like a tire fire. Right. You know, of huge mistakes. And that was one of my awakening moments when I almost died on the road with Bobby Keel. And, you know, was rest, he asleep rest in peace, Bob. The uh, we went to Cranbrook, and uh, on the way home, yeah, he felt he was sleeping. It was Fernie, so what are we? Half an hour out of Cranbrook, <laughs> yeah, he's, already, he's already asleep. He's already asleep. Well, we had a good time, and <clears throat> one of the shows it was good, one was bad, and there was a fight in the crowd, but. Um, as Cranbrook usually had one good, yeah. one bad one, and and Bobby was getting up there in age and and was still, you know, what I would consider thought, you know, he was gonna make it still, like yeah, the big lights and and uh, but he didn't, and and uh, then we almost died on the road, and I was like for three hundred bucks, and I was like I just don't think I can do this for the rest of my life, like yeah with it's too hard like you know if he was doing it for 30 years and and still not you know seeing a good living then you know yeah and then you work with people where you're like other people are like i know i could never be that good so i'm like you know like and they're not even famous like that happens sometimes like where you know so it, it's yeah. hard right like yeah, it's definitely, I mean, you know, it's if somebody were starting comedy tomorrow, then, the you know, what you would say to them is like, you know, you've got the, one of the first things you've got to figure out is how do I get my paperwork together to move to the United States? Like, how do I get a visa? You know, how do I establish myself? Like, you know, you really can't just stay where you're at, right? Like, you know, all success in comedy comes from the United States, essentially. There's only three or four names you can even think of that came up in Canada, established themselves in Canada, and are now famous in Canada. Right. You know, it would be like, you know, Jerry D., Brent Butt, John Doerr, Nikki Payne, Deb Giovanni to a certain extent. Like, you know, there's, there, you can't even come up with like a top 10, Sean Majumder, Mark Critch, you know, like, um, you know, there's really only 10 names in Canada that you can think of that are like, oh, they were homegrown talents that made, that are now very wealthy um, just from Canada. So if you're going to try to run up against those odds, you're probably going to get smacked in the face. Like it's right. so very difficult to get to that level. Not that it's easy to attain success in America, but that would be your first move is like, how do I go from where I'm at to, you know, New York or Los Angeles? Like, how do I get to that place? Because that's the way out of like Cranbrook, like, you know, right. like even successful Canadian comedians, you'll be like, why does this guy going to Cranbrook for $500? And it's because they have to fill weeks, right? They need gigs. They're yeah. not, even the successful ones aren't that successful. Um, they're still, you know, even people that you would look at and go, well, I bet he's doing well or she's doing well in comedy. They're still struggling. They still don't make, yeah. you know, they still have trouble making ends meet. Um, so, yeah, there's only maybe 15 or 20 
Canadian comedians and you think of there's thousands doing it and maybe 15 or 20 are, you know, quite successful doing it. Right. And the rest are really grinding. So, yeah, your best bet is to move to, you know, first Toronto and then find some way to get down to the to the States somehow. That would be your... Otherwise, you're just grinding in Canada and pretending it's great. You know, right. you're just doing like whatever you can get your hands on and pretending it's awesome. Yeah. And driving like a lot. Because and I don't it's even, a big country and you're just like... And I, I don't even... I don't mind that part of it. I don't mind the travel or the driving or the hotels or whatever. Like, I don't mind that stuff. It's like an hour before showtime and sitting in front of a community hall. Um, that's when my body is like, get out of here. <laughs> go home. Right. You need to go home. Yeah. You don't belong here. Well, yeah. So it's weird. Like, I've, I've been doing it for 18 years. And I still haven't been able to shake that feeling of like, uh, you know, but I mean, I've worked with other comedians where when they're on stage, like um, John Bueller, as an example, like when he's on stage, um, he looks super natural. Like he's a really good comedian. He looks like he looks like he doesn't have a care in the world. He looks like he couldn't care less what you think of his comedy. But then you work with him and you realize like, oh, he's puking before shows like he's ill. Oh, really? Like he's so worried about going on stage that he's like physically sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on stage and makes it look like it's nothing. He's just so good at it. But that, so yeah, you do end up realizing like, oh, some other people do have these problems where, you know, when they're on stage, they make it look like it's no, no big deal. They could care mm-hmm. less. But before the show, they're like, you know, I am petrified. I don't want to be here. Yeah. Probably 10% of the time I get scared before a show. Like, and then I just remind myself that no matter what happens, it'll go away in like 30 seconds, even if it's bad. Like I'm still, I can live through a bad set. I don't like when I have like two or three bad ones in a row, it grinds me down. But like, yeah, I can usually blame the first one on the, situation pretty easily yeah and then i start to be like actually i'm really bad yeah for me it's all the during like the you know if i'm doing a show and it's not going the way that i'd hoped like it's not usually a bomb like it's not really like i'm bombing it's more just like you know they're only laughing at the punchlines right they're only Mm -hmm. they're not laughing at any of the lead up they're not laughing they don't personally find me funny they're just laughing at the very end of a joke so like I have to do 45 seconds of talking and then a little payoff. And you're like, this isn't, you know, I'm not really connected to this audience. Um, that's when it's kind of scary. But yeah, there's, as soon as it's over, you're like, I mean, you know, like three months from now, if you're like, what did you do November 30th? I'd be like, I don't have a fucking clue. Right. I don't remember where I was. I have no... If you ask me, like, you know... So that's what I try to... The same, same sort of principle as yours. Like, I try to remind myself, like, okay, what Christmas parties did you do in 2014? You're like, I have no idea. Sure. No idea. I could... I have no idea. So, you know, like, this is... That's the same thing that's going to happen in, you know, in 2025. Right. It's like, what did you do in 2019? I have no concept. I don't know where I was. I could only tell you the worst ones. 
Right. I could always remember the worst shows. The worst one that I, the worst show that I ever did was in like a small town in Saskatchewan, and an agent. Uh, there was an agent that hadn't used me. Like they had some pretty good, pretty good gigs, and they hadn't used me before. And then they were like, "Okay, we're gonna trust you to go into this little community." But um, some bookers that you work with. Um, you know, like if you do a show for a certain booker, they they have easier crowds. Like, so sometimes you'll do one for a higher end booker, and the reason that it got to be a higher end booking is because the crowd's difficult. So they would try to book a comedian at a cheap rate, and then be like, "Well, that guy sucked," and then they'll go one way or the other. They'll either be like, "Okay, we're gonna not do comedy again because it doesn't work for our crowd," or "Okay, now we have to pay real money to bring in a real comedian because." that you know that rate got us no comedian at all so sometimes you're walking into an environment and you're like i'm being paid good money but the reason i'm being paid good money is because this crowd is kind of dead like they just don't really laugh very much so i went into this like farming community and i'd had a good show the night before i think so i had some weird confidence i was like oh this will be fine like i I actually feel like i'll be okay like the one time in your yeah the one and i remember specifically (laughs) before I went on thinking I'm actually going to do pretty well tonight because um, you know I had a good show in a similar small community yesterday and also there was some kids across the street that were on top of the hockey rink and they were sliding down the side of a Quonset like the rink was a giant you know Quonset thing I don't know what a Quonset well it's like um a dome, huge, yeah, like a yeah, it's all steel, yeah, okay, like a yeah, steel yeah. dome kind of thing. Yeah. And so the kids were sliding down the side of it um, onto the ground and hurting themselves, and then going back up and doing it over and over again. And you could see it from the window. So I was like, "Oh, this is going to be great! Like, I'm going to go up there. There's 200. There's maybe 150 people here, and I'm going to talk about like, oh, child safety's no big deal in this town. Look at what's going on outside." And so I got up there and started with like, "Yeah, well, apparently nobody cares about kids in this town. Like, everybody comes to the community hall and gets drunk. And what do we do with the kids? Stick them on the quads and break their ankles all night." And so I thought like, "That'll be funny." And then they didn't laugh at all. Like, they just looked outside and saw the kids going down the side of the Quonset, and then they looked back at me, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, okay. So it's weird when you know, like, 10 seconds in, I've got a problem. <laughs> like, I've got a big problem here. Right. Like, there's no chance you're getting them back? No. So then I started, like, Boy, my set. I started my set, and they were, I was getting nothing. Like, I... Yeah, I, I still look back on that show as I, I... It was the first time that I ever did 45 minutes to no laughs. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a single laugh from 150 people in 45 minutes. That's like, hard to do. Very hard to do. And even I'd be like, well, this is going great. This is the best set I've ever had. Honestly, <laughs> I feel great about it. And I'm having fun. I don't know about you guys. You guys having a blast like me? Because I'm having a blast. And even like little things like that that would normally get people to go, this is pretty funny because he's doing that. Right. Even that wasn't working. So even the little joke. And then I was like, well, I'm going to play the piano. And there was like a piano on stage. And I was like doing, you know, playing the piano. And then I I got up and like, well, I guess I can't do that either. Um, Can't play the piano. And then, you know, so I was like, 
grasping at straws and and then it went it went badly enough that after it was over the lady had a plate of food so before I went on I was like oh, I'm not gonna eat and the lady's like okay well I'll make a plate of food for you so she had a plate of food for me that was saran wrapped and it was like by the fridge and she's like, when you're done, come on back and we'll grab you some, and you grab your food. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And then after it was over, I was like, um, is there any way I could grab that plate of food? And she's like, it's all gone. It's all in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wasn't there a plate for me? And she's like, yeah, it's all we had to, it's all gone. Weird. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I was like, well, Merry Christmas. And she was like. <laughs> so like imagine wishing somebody a Merry Christmas in a super Christian town and then they can't they hated you so much right. that they couldn't throw a Merry Christmas back at you like they were like she basically was like I don't want you to have a good Christmas right I hope you it's so shitty it is so funny how much they hate you like the people yeah. that hate you on stage are like I can't even acknowledge this person as a human being. Yeah. No, I mean, that, like that's they, why comedy is more difficult than people think because it changes. Um, they don't just think like, oh, that guy wasn't a very good comedian, but he seems like a nice guy or like mm-hmm. what it's generally speaking what, you know, they hate you. Yeah. They don't like what you did on stage. And then when you get off stage, they're like, I hate you. Right. And then it works the other way, too, where you'll see comedians go in and be an asshole before the show. And people there are like, this guy's a jerk. I don't like this comedian. And then they go up on stage and destroy. And then the, the people are like, oh, he w- that thing that we saw before, that wasn't the real him. The real him was what we With saw up the there. The stage guy. He yeah. seems like the, the best guy. The stage guy. I love right. him. Yeah. And then they get off stage and they're a jerk again. And they're like, it, he's just joking. He's yeah. not really a jerk. The real right. him is what I saw yeah. up there. Yeah. And you're like, nope, the real him is the, the off stage. Him is the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the stage thing is a very well crafted little piece. Like, it's a magic trick, you know? Yeah. Well, it is. That's why you kind of run out of steam. Like, in comedy, you're like, yeah, I mean, I don't watch comedy at all. Like, I don't watch any stand, like, unless I'm on the show. Mm-hmm. It yeah, just doesn't interest me. Like it just doesn't, you know, if I'm, if I have Netflix open, I'm not watching a comedy special. Like after a while, it just kind of, it's all a magic trick. Like I know there's great comedians and I know there's great comedy out there. Like, it's not like I'm like, oh, these guys, everybody sucks. There's great comedy and great comedians. I just, I'm not interested in it. I just don't care. Like it just all comes off like a, you know, once you've done it a while, you're just kind of like, even if you see somebody do a great joke, you're just like, ah, shit. Like. That's too bad. I, that's a good joke. Like, you're not like, oh, that's hilarious. You're just like, ah, shit. Like, I should have written that or wish I'd, <laughs> yeah, wish I'd, thought, like, wish I'd thought of that. Yeah, God I wish I would have thought it that way because that is really good. Yeah, I, I wish I could. Ah, shit. Oh, well. There goes that. Well, like, okay, so let's talk about some some highlights. We seem to be talking about the bad. So, yeah, well, that's mostly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But then, so you did, how many years were you in when you won, like, homegrown just for laughs? Uh, I think I'd been doing it five years. Yeah, about five years before I won that. 
Um, yeah, so it was like a contest. They picked somebody from each region of Canada. So like somebody from Alberta. I think Alberta, Saskatchewan was represented by one person. And then BC represented by one person. So there's like nine or ten total from Canada. And uh, the criteria is just like people that haven't been to Just for Laughs before. Um, and then you do a show. There's nine of you and or ten, nine or ten of you. And then they judge it. And the winner gets some extra shows. And then and you've done Just for Laughs since. Like le- yeah. legitimately, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I did it like in 07 and then again in 2014 um so yeah i mean winnipeg. it was winnipeg yeah i've done winnipeg a couple times and halifax that's, a couple times and on the one on tv i love your comedy now special but it's never on tv i think it actually just aired recently because oh, somebody really? yeah, yeah i, I got a, it i got was, a couple of was funny. i got a couple of facebook messages from children that were like i seen you on television that's usually who gets a hold of me is like kids Right, teenagers or whatever that are like, can I tell your jokes at school? I saw your comedy special <laughs> on the Comedy Network. Can I tell them at school? And I'm like, you go ahead, buddy. Right, go right ahead. Knock yourself out. And then you wrote. Can you talk about you wrote for this hour, for a bit? Yeah, for like two weeks. It was like a probationary thing. Like, uh, yeah, it's pretty tough to get into in the middle of a season because I think I went. I kind of got dropped in. And, uh, you know, you have the executive producer. So basically, like, if the executive producer thinks that you're really funny, then you're going to get stuff on the show. And if the executive producer doesn't reads your stuff and kind of goes, what does this mean? Then you're, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I think for my stuff, like, I would send stuff in and the executive producer would always be like, like, if he liked it, then he would think somebody else wrote it. So I knew that I was on shaky ground because he'd be like, um, he he, because you'd send in jokes anonymously. Mm-hmm. He'd be like, "Okay, there's no name attached to this. Here's some jokes," and then the executive producer would say, "Like, uh, well, you know, I I like it, but you know, it needs a little bit of tweaking, Bob." And they'd be like, "Oh, I I wrote that. Oh, you wrote that? Like, uh oh, like, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He's he's good, he's man. already surprised that I, you know." So, yeah, it was two weeks. It was kind of fun. But, yeah, it's a, yeah, I'd say it's a tougher environment than I thought it would be because there's only so many places for you. You know, they only have so many writers. Mm -hmm. And you have to basically steal a job, job, right? Like, you got to come in. So, it's, you know, there's some camaraderie, but there's not really a lot of camaraderie because in order for you to last longer than two weeks, somebody else has to go home. Right. Like some other writer has to go home. And it literally is like, you know, Monday morning they'll call up and say, um, these are the sketches that made the show. These are the jokes that made the show. Who wrote this? Who wrote this? Who wrote this? And then it's a scorecard of like... Points? Yeah. So it's a scorecard of like, you know, who wrote all these things. And some writers are there on a yearly contract. So they're they're solid. They're there for the year. And even if they get fired, they get they have to be paid out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's, I don't know. So after two weeks, it wasn't even like somebody told me like, you're going home or whatever. It was just like, um, they don't tell you anything. Right. So you have a flight that's booked, um, for two weeks later. And then if they're going to keep you, then they'll just cancel that flight and tell you Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you're not going home. Like whatever. 
Um, but then if you're if you're not going to stay, then they just don't say anything. And right. then you know that you're getting on that plane Tuesday morning or whatever. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> so you're like, well, nobody's talked to me about anything, so... See you later. And I was too scared to like go in and talk to anybody and be like, right. hey, so what's up? How does this work? Am I going to yeah. stay longer or what's up? Like, So I didn't say anything. And uh, I think I just like the day before I was leaving sent an email to the producers like, thanks for having me. You know, it was a good experience. Good luck with the show kind of thing. And then they were and then one of them was like, oh, um, oh, geez, Louise, we might get you to stay longer. And, uh, and then I was like, well, I. Already have that I, flight you guys booked. Yeah, I already have that <laughs> flight that's booked, and I had shows that I didn't cancel because there was no reason to cancel them. So right, but I think they were just trying to be nice, right? They weren't like sure. legitimately wanting me to stay. They were just like trying to soften the blow because they knew I was. And the other thing too is they were like, "Oh, this was kind of an unfair time for you to come in because it was all American politics because it was the American election." And I was like, well, actually, I know a lot more about American politics than I do Canadian. So mm -hmm. this would have been the perfect time. But, For you? Yeah. So well, you do know a lot about politics. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, it was a fun, you know, it was a fun experience for sure. But yeah, it was short lived. It was like two weeks. It was one of those ones where like, you know, if you're using it as a credit, it's kind of a, you know, like, eh, that's kind of a weak ass credit because a lot of people get brought in for two week probationary things to write for them and see if it takes off or not. Mm -hmm. Some guys have a good gig out there. Like they write from home or whatever, but, um, you know, it's a good gig. Like if you, you know, if they liked you, yeah. if they were like, you're awesome and we're going to sign you for the year, then it would, it's a great gig. Like, right. you know, you get per diems, you're staying in nice hotels, you get good money, you know, like it's, uh, you know, there's, talented people there so it would be a good gig if they if they got on board with what you were writing yeah that's, i do that's some fun. that's actually pretty fun yeah that's one that because usually they'll put me in to be like the heel so it's like an automatic loss but it's fun to write for right where they're getting you to argue against the northern lights and yellow and yellow knife or whatever right so you have to talk about how shitty the Northern Lights are in a place where they that's all they have. <laughs> all right. And so those are fun. Yeah. Like they'll get you to argue like pregnancy is harder for men than it is for women or, you know, like things that like are... you can't win. Yeah. Or like arguing against blue collar work in Calgary. So those are fun, you know, because yeah. you're like, that it, it sort fun. of sets you up to be, it's like being a wrestler. Yeah. Where you just go out there and boo, you know, mm -hmm. it's, so it's fun to play that character. Um, so those are good. Yeah, that's a good time because it's sort of the opposite of stand up where in stand up, you've got to be like, hello, everybody. Like, you've got to like me or I don't get paid. And then you do the debaters and you're like, shut up, like, shut up, crowd. You don't know what the hell you're talking right. about. Which is like my favorite to watch when you like tell the crowd they're brutal. Yeah. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Everybody shut. needs to. Yeah. Because when I did the yellow knife one, I was like, good evening, white knife. Like, um, so yeah, right away they hated me. Yeah. I was like, hey, white knife. Um, and they were like, you. And so they already hated me before I said anything about the Northern Lights. Mm. Um yeah so those are yeah those are good sort of moments and stuff but uh yeah now we're now we're just doing podcasts you know 
Right. Just grinding it out, ripping basements yeah, you apart. You guys won 10 bucks the other day on your Aaron we did. podcast. We did. We won 10 bucks yesterday. <clears throat> it was the first time we won anything on our little stupid lotteries. You and I tried to do our Oilers Nation Outsiders show, which mm-hmm. was really fun for me. I thought it was fun It was to pretty do, fun, yeah. But it was fun to do, but it was, it was a, time-consuming yeah. for you. Like, it took a lot of time well, for it, you. It was like we would get quite a few views, I thought. And both of us, like, over the course of people, the only thing I've ever had three people say to me is, like, you guys ever do that ever again? Nobody was like, that was funny. Like, I enjoyed that. Or, like, anything about it. It was just, like, you guys did that thing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, nobody was like, that was hilarious. I loved it. Yeah, they were like, you guys doing any more of that? Yeah. No. Yeah, so that was tough. Because <laughs> you don't get automatic. The best thing about comedy is if it's good, is if the automatic feedback is incredible. Like, yeah. The, that's the reason why it's like a drug. Well, and something like the that Oilers Nation Outsiders is, you know, it was only going to be good if it was bad for a while, right? Like, you, you don't start off being good at anything. Right. So, like, it, you know, it w- we probably would have gotten better at it, um, and it would have been funnier, like, the longer we did it. Just sort of getting into a rhythm and figuring out what Having people think is funny. And, and yeah. yeah. But, you know, then that would have required more time, more effort, more editing, more, like, you know. And then you're just like... to write. Yeah, so you'd be like, okay, well now you actually have to put aside time to write material, write sketches, and mm-hmm. you know, edit them, and it just was, yeah, it was just it was going to be way too time consuming for two people that didn't have much time yeah. to consume. But there were some funny ones, like the I thought the Gene Principe like softball interview with Shirelli or whatever, like that was kind of funny, and then the Russian thing and. The like, Shirelli one was my favorite. I've, I've watched it since. It still makes me it's laugh. It's still kind it was of like funny. A, <laughs> the, uh, but no, I, nobody really liked that one. It was no? my favorite. I liked that like one, but this, people didn't like that. They were shitting on it. I don't know if they were. Nobody. Just there was definitely it. zero positive feedback whatsoever. On yeah. It. Like, and that was <laughs> zero positive feedback. But the funny thing is, like. So you got a lot more like positive feedback on the comments and whatever than I did, but I've done the drawings. Oh my god! Thank thank God I didn't. Thank God I didn't read the comments. Oh, you never got chirped. I did. Remember the one time I like wrote the thing the guy said about me, like this guy obviously can't read, whatever, like blah blah blah. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And we read it. Um. But I did the drawings at those roasts, and like they crushed at the roasts, like my crappy hockey drawings and whatever. So it was like the, the uh, I think there was maybe something there, but it was, you know, who knows? Nobody yeah. once said they liked the drawings from. Yeah, but the people comments. did like the drawings because yeah. whenever I went, whenever I talked to people about that outsiders thing they bring up the drawings it's the first thing they bring up is like those drawings man it's fucking hilarious yeah, and i was like well <laughs> okay i don't know uh, whatever it doesn't matter it was uh 
this is less stressful than that. That was stressful. Yeah. I didn't like putting myself out there on no, that one. That was so much. really tough. Yeah, because you're stressful. and you're you're really putting yourself in the lion's mouth there because it's like sports fans. Yeah. That all think that they could do it too, right? So, yeah. and I mean, they're probably right. They could do it too. You know, like we we're, we're making little videos, and so everybody that's looking at them is like, "What are these guys doing on this site?" Right. You know, get me and my buddies to do it. Who mm-hmm. are these guys? Right. Like this is stupid. Yeah. But and then Robin Brownlee stole the Outsiders and name, right? He did. He stole it. I saw that. We probably deserved it. Yeah, we made fun of him on there for no reason a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> you did. That was a... You did. That's true. Uh, no, we had to cut those out most of the time. Oh, did we? We got in trouble from for a couple brownies, right? Oh yeah, they didn't. Like, want we can't any... make fun of people that work here. And we're like, oh, no, okay. yeah, and Zach Cassie, and they didn't like that one either. Yeah, that was too and bad. They said they, I still drink, bitch, yeah. <laughs> and then punched him in the face. <laughs> I loved that one. That was kind of funny. Yeah. So well, thanks. What What's the yeah. uh, What's the end game? Oh, just keep doing it till you're dead. You know, <laughs> it's like any other life choice. It's hard, right? It's like, like it's no different than being like an accountant or a librarian or whatever. You just kind of keep doing it until your heart stops. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Makes sense. It does, yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Kent. Yeah, thanks for coming. It was fun. Yeah, if you want to check them out, I don't. Do you even have a website? I don't even no, know. No, I don't have a no, website. He doesn't have. No. But you I can would, check me out on Facebook. I will add me as a friend on Facebook. You can. Do, oh yeah, you'll post a lot of stuff on. Oh there. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, where I'm very, over, I'm very active. All over social media. <laughs> I would encourage anyone to actually uh, Google Sean LeCombre and, and watch some of his videos on YouTube. He's, he's hilarious. If if you find out he's coming to your town or you're in Edmonton and see he's on a show, go check it out. Um, just sort of a, a plug for K4 and, and how awesome it is compared to IG. Uh, before Sean and Kelly Taylor were hired to do the IG comedy tour this year, K4 hired them for a lot less money <laughs> to do the K4 comedy <laughs> night. That's true. The... <laughs> that is true. And it wasn't a, it was a intense of a sales pitch. <laughs> so uh, that made me laugh. I was like, he's like, oh, I asked him to do a show. And he's like, actually, I got the IG tour. And I'm like, oh, that's great. I mean, good money. Take some back for me, please. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the uh, it was fun listening to how that operation works from the other end. And I was I just wonderful, thought, wonderful thought company. Was, thought it was great. Well, and I didn't. I would never do the one thing as that is uh, tell you guys that you couldn't do the jokes that you wanted to do. Yeah, right. Like that's one of the K four principles the pillars of k4 right uncensored comedy (laughs) actually i made a mistake when i was doing that show and i went up telling a new joke that's on the dirtier side of what i have and i was like this is probably inappropriate for this one i should have gotten a little cleaner but yeah i don't think things through all the time and uh, no neither do i yeah Yeah. well it's just because you get excited about a new joke and then you forget the content 
Right. And you're like, oh, these people have seen me before, so I'll do that new one. And then you're like, oh, I shouldn't have done that new one. I right. forgot what it was about. Yeah, yeah. like I wasn't even thinking about yeah. while I was talking. I was like, well, this is pretty aggressive with the F-bombs and like the, uh, maybe it'll be offensive to somebody. And uh, yeah. Well, that's how you get new clients. You got to shock them. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely didn't work, but. Okay. <laughs> it definitely it was fun. Work. I mean, I was happy was to do fun, it. Yeah. I want to. I want to do it again. I just don't want to be a part of the show, really. And I gotta find out who to hire again. I'll just copy IG. Yeah, check out their roster. Check out their roster. Bring in some. Yeah, bring in the IG scrap heap. All right. Oh, beauty. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks Go for oil. having me on. Go oil. K4 forever. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Go oil. <laughs>